What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Scott Lease, co-founder of the Surf and Sales Summit, coming to you live from Playa Grande, Costa Rica, November 27th through December 6th. Two different sessions, Richard. Are you going to make both of them this time, Richard? Yes, but I've made both of them last time. It was the time before that that I missed, but I had COVID. But uh, yeah, I'll be there. This time, though, I'm going to wear earplugs so I don't get another ear infection. I think that you should sequester yourself and not leave the house for at least a week or two before we go this time. At this stage, that's that's what I do anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) No change in Richard's lifestyle, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We're going to be talking today to uh, a Boston guy. His name is Matt Doyon. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Triple Session, and he'll tell you all about it in just a minute. But first, Richard's going to introduce our wonderful sponsor, HubSpot. Yeah, um, you know, this is interesting. You know, there's only there's only one time that I know in sales where you really want to go from like the A list to the C list, right? That, that's in sales, right? I got to get to the C level, right? So that, I'll take that C minus anytime I can get it, right? Um, but that's the difference between contenders and pretenders, right? Is being able to get to those places while doing it in an effective and efficient manner. So with fourth quarter upon us uh, and people thinking even now about 2024, you know, pay attention to what HubSpot's got going on with um, everything in their new prospecting workspace. They've got, re- re- they've revamped their deal management stuff. They've got smart sequences. They've got sales hub, uh, which they've come out with. They've got AI. So Again, if you haven't checked it out, I would encourage you to. I also think, look, in general, um, you know, they've got a good blog for sales. Like if you're looking for advice and stuff, why wouldn't you just go do that? If we're all trying to self-educate and get better, um, there'll be a ton of stuff in there that'll help you and help you finish this year in Q4 strong. And back to you, Scott, in the studio of downtown Austin. Great job, Richard. Great job. Always. Yeah. All right. Well, we welcome Matt Doyon, co-founder, CEO of Triple Session, author, infinite learner, and advocate of sports style training for business professionals. What's up, Matt? Hey, Scott. Hey, Richard. Great to be here. Great to be part of the HubSpot podcast network. I'm an ex-HubSpot guy myself, so uh, it's good to still be reaping the benefits of that ecosystem all these years later. Love that. Richard, uh, you don't know this, but we... We're supposed to do a show with Matt, and I was supposed to actually have Matt here live in studio. Wow. We were going to do the show together. I don't remember what happened. I got sick or my kid got sick. Something happened, and we had to reschedule the whole thing. And let me tell you what type of person Matt is. Matt bought this like special tequila, left it behind the desk at a hotel in Austin for me, and I went down and picked it up. And there's a scorpion dangling in the bottle, Richard. Yeah. That's for, the kind of guy Matt is. For those, for those on YouTube, where's the bottle? Because you, you need to show people for the people who go to the YouTube. Well, page. I just put it away. I, I, I brought it out earlier, but I just put it away. Maybe I'll scoot off and, and grab it. Yeah. I got to tell you, it probably all worked out for the best because the night before that, I was taken out by some friends on what you locals like to call Dirty Sixth. Oh, boy. And... uh yeah, it got a little ruckus. It got a little a little adventurous that night. So I was not in prime condition the next day. So <laughs> it's, all the, uh, it's all yeah. worked out. Well, tell everybody what Triple Session is and what you're up to. Yeah, so Triple Session, we're on a mission to make self-improvement through organized practice standard for everyone. And that's a very broad mission. 
And initially we are zeroing in on our fellow brethren and sisterin. I don't know what would we call the equivalent of brethren, whatever it is. Uh, we're zeroing in on sales and we have an app that integrates one-on-one coaching with daily micro training. So putting together a series of spot trainings that zero in on a very specific skill and empowering managers and reps to collaborate over the long haul in building the habit of daily practice into their routine to optimize performance and get numbers up. Okay. That's way too marketing. Like that's too much. All right. To rehearse. Give me a shout of that tequila. Let's, let's run it It back. Let's redo that. It is, is, but all of that stuff that Matt just said, I don't know if you realize this, Richard, but this is what we did. Yes. We, We did this way back in the mid 2000s. Right. And I did this, even when I moved to, to Austin, I did it when I was at Main Street Hub, Outbound Engine, at Qualia and whatnot. I, I didn't have a name for it the way Matt does, but that's what we did. We did these micro trainings every single yep. day, right? Yep. And so, number one, I understand the value of it. Number two, why doesn't it happen? Why, why are people, both reps and managers, reluctant to implement this style of, uh, of training? Three words, game day players. We are hardwired in sales to want to show up and just go and proactively getting into refining our game, practicing, getting into going through the paces of stuff that we believe we already know and know well because we play the game. We all suffer from the Allen Iverson syndrome. And for those of you who are not old enough to get that reference, you could YouTube that. Um, Practice. We're talking about practice, not the game, not the game. Practice. We might have to tell them to TikTok. So. Yeah, the TikToks, memes. I don't know. I'm I'm Gen X guys, so actually you both might be too. So I'm still getting caught up with uh, with all the venues for social. But yeah. the idea here is you have to make it hyper simple. And today in this era, when we're talking about frontline sales personnel, the digital natives they grew up with it but they have a short attention span. You got to make it fun. You got to make it light. And you don't always want to sit down and learn something. It's like Spanish class in high school, right? You don't want to sit down and go to Spanish and learn Spanish all day. Unless you're planning that trip to Barcelona and you need to get geared up for it, you just want to go. What did Duolingo teach us about foreign language? Yeah, it's not always about learning a foreign language. You got to make it fun, make it gamified, make it an app. Deliver it in a very short soundbite. Put a leaderboard on it. Make it competitive. Hit those dopamine triggers that everyone today is hardwired to respond to based on all the apps out there. It wasn't the philosophy. It wasn't that it didn't exist. It wasn't that it didn't make sense before. It's just that nobody really spoke to it in the way that our brains actually think, which is you need to keep it light. You need to make it fun. Gamify it. I might not want to learn about the objection handling process I need to run through when somebody tells me they need two weeks to think about it. It has to be something else that's going to get you to want to learn that when you run through it. And that's what we're building a triple session. So is it, you know, people know us that it's, you know, we don't come on here and do product pitches, but I'm curious about this because this, this, you know, it speaks to our heart. Like this is what Scott and you and I all, that's our business and and we 
enjoy helping people and we want them to learn. Are there multiple paths? Like, okay, if you're an enterprise rep, here's this kind of stuff. And if you're a SDR, there's this kind of stuff. And, and I, I don't want to get into a pitch, but I just want to understand, like, I love this idea and how simple it can be. And, you know, how stupid Scott and I are about one other idea we could have come up with. So, um, <laughs> so uh, short answer is yes, there are paths, career paths. So SDR, small business rep, enterprise rep, manager, those are more intended for people who want to get into those professions and do some pre-work uh, because it's really rigid when you go through a path. It walks you through a sequence of what you need to get under your feet. We really lean heavily into what we call skill tracks and skill tracks are customized. Skill tracks are just like the three of us always ran one-on-ones with our people, which is hey, what do you need to get better with? You're an individual, you're a person. I'm not going to tell you and hopefully you're going to tell me, but we're going to come together with this now and understand what is it that you need to level up this week, the next two weeks, this month? What's that one thing that's going to make it or break it for you to get 1% better at? And that could be different for different people, right? Maybe you're working on top of the funnel stuff. Maybe it's your discovery, building urgency, prospecting, demoing, yeah. objection, whatever it might be. So I got um, I have one more follow-up on that too. Yeah. What have you noticed? How long has it been out? Like, because it could be a data, my question could be a, a data answer. So we built it inside the last company I was at and we're incubating it there for about a year. And then we took it out of that and launched it out into the world seven months ago. Okay. What have you noticed about the types of people other than, generational what the people who gravitate to something like this and those who oh yeah i'll sign up and then they never freaking do it have you figured yep. that key out because i think that's a big piece of um almost like a hiring question like how do i figure out these people like how do i find the best reps that are coachable and willing to take that like i'm curious what insights you have if, if this has given you any of that yeah. So there are a few answers to that question. One is the earliest adopters are the BDRs, SDRs out there. The ones who know that they have tons to learn. They are drinking from fire hoses now when you think of all the tools that they need, all of the apps that they need to get down, the skills that they need to get better with. And all of them want to get the hell out of that job as quickly as possible, prove themselves and get ready for an AE role or a manager role to lead a BDR team. Yeah. So we've seen the biggest leaps forward and the biggest traction with those frontline salespeople. But the pleasant surprise is that sales enablement professionals have started to come in on their own without us doing a lot of prodding, just with a lot of publication on social and being active in communities. Uh, sales enablement professionals have this challenge overwhelmingly, which is... They buy a tool, they create tons of training material, and it sits there. Nobody uses it because the you know, idea I'm is about right. the salespeople. Like, I, I like the fact that enablement, and I, I'm curious to see what you know. I kind of get it, but like, is it the generational? You know, it's it's the Richard Harris's grumpy Gus salespeople who are you know, you know, 37 years old plus. Um, yep kind of that don't like it or no, actually we've been pleasantly surprised that they do like it because they get it and they like those little snippets. It's the outliers in our generation. The Gen Xers are the outliers, the ones that 
um, are really adamant about constantly learning, constantly improving. The like one example of that is a guy at HubSpot who runs uh, marathons and he was a cycling champion out of Ireland. And he's like always on the cutting edge and there's anything that he can learn. He's going to gobble it up and you put a number next to his name. He needs to have that number be number one. So a lot of the stuff that we built in that very dual lingo like functionality speaks directly to him, as does the fact that he's constantly paranoid that he doesn't know enough. And none of us really do. That's the dirty little secret that most salespeople that perform well have hidden behind the scenes where there's so much going on all the time that's changing so fast, AI all over the place, different markets. It's getting way more competitive now than ever. What got us here won't get us there. And being complacent is not anyone's friend. So there, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, Richard, we do get the Gen Xers and they are the outliers who get in there. Most of them are, no, I've been selling for 15 years. Leave me alone. I know what to do. I have my skills down. I know where to lean and where to put my thumb on the scale during certain conversations. And I'm good. Where we get the most traction are first five years in sales, drinking from a fire hose, tons I need to learn, tons I need to move on with. And I need to prove what I know, not only to myself, but I'm probably going to be looking for a new job in the next 18 months, either in the company I'm at now trying to get a promotion, or I'm going to be back in the market because millennials and Zoomers change jobs constantly. So they want to take those skills and have that as part of their resume. It changes jobs constant, constantly. How much of that is their choosing? How much of that is them choosing to change jobs versus... Uh the tumult that has been going on over the course of the last few years, company yeah. shuttering, mismanagement, pandemics, all this kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I had my last job for eight years and that today, when you talk to somebody in the market, that is like a foreign concept. That's a foreign concept people. to me. The longest I've ever worked someplace is four years and one month now, and guess where that is? Working for myself. <laughs> so yeah. the longest run I ever had at another company was three years and one month. Yeah, Scott, you're about eight time years to, fire to me. Yourself. Eight years to me, that's like that's like insane. And I'm not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a spring chicken. So you're the outlier to me. Sure. Being somewhere for Scott, eight years. Scott, it's about time for you to fire yourself. I think if you've been, well, uh, yeah, I deserve years. it. Let me tell you. You're gonna get um, you're gonna get frustrated with your with yourself and then you know fire yourself. So. I will. I think you were asking a why question, Scott. So yeah. why is it that people are changing so much? And that's above my pay grade. I don't have the answers in terms of why. What I know is the what, what the data tells us. As you move younger and younger generationally, the number of jobs and job changes and the speed at which jobs and roles change increases. It's do, do you think that's because people aren't given the opportunity to learn new skills and and try out different things and kind of spread their wings and they don't want to be pigeonholed into doing one thing over and over and over? I don't think that that's what it was. I think that's where we are now. Mm. And let me explain. You know, a lot of this was happening before the current economy that we're working in, before COVID. The data was showing that 
new entrants into the workplace were moving around and job hopping a lot. And they were doing it voluntarily. So we saw that during COVID, right, where everyone was quitting, going after new jobs that were going to pay them twice as much. And there was a huge mass exodus that was happening. What are we looking at today? It's kind of reversed, right? I was looking at the statistics just yesterday. U.S. economy added 330,000 jobs in September. The U.S. tech economy shedded 2,300 jobs in September. So as we're adding jobs as a global economy in the U.S., we are losing them in tech. So everybody's looking to hang on. And the ones that are getting cut in sales anyway, we know who they are. They are not proven performers. They're not showing up. And you know we have an easy profession to prove value in, right? You're either putting your numbers on the board or you're not. So a lot of that's involuntary now. And that's scary. And I think what we're seeing now, what we'll continue to see is both aspects, both ends of this spectrum. There's going to still be a lot of voluntary movement. People want to jump to a new career, new job, new industry, get a promotion, and they know they can go from SDR to rep at another company or rep to manager at another company. That will still happen, as will cutting the top, the bottom 10% of a sales force, Jack Welch style, because they're just not performing. And now sales efficiency is the quote everybody needs to keep top of mind. It's not lead efficiency. It's not revenue. It's sales efficiency, rep efficiency, revenue per rep. The CRO, CSO, VP of sales, they're not calling the shots anymore in that boardroom. CFO is. I'm sitting here wondering if I ever called the shots or if I always lost to CFO and CEO. Did you ever call the shots, Richard? How much power and authority did you have when you were a sales leader? Excluding over you? <laughs> yes. Uh, very little. Hmm. Like, you know, and I, look, I've been around longer than most. And uh, the, I mean, even as early as the early 2000s, Granted, I was in the Bay Area, so it was sort of the post-dot bomb. The whole approval process shifted. Um, and I also think that's partially because I stayed at smaller tech companies, 100, 200. Yeah. Right? When, you go to, when you go to a big company, like you get a budget, right? And you know, yeah. it, became, it became one of my questions eventually when I was interviewing back in the day of like, do I have my own budget? Can I go approve, get something approved? You know, like, you know, like I, I work at one startup and Scott, I don't know if you remember the story. It's like, I was told yes in the interview. And then when I wanted to go and buy actually HubSpot for, you know, just the ability to see when someone opened an email, which was like $10 a user a month. And we needed three licenses. I was, you know, I had to have a 30 or 45 minute. Meeting, nine. Right. Um, nine. Yeah. 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 So, um, you notice that because Matt, you back in 2011, you were at a company that I was indirectly slash directly competing against. You you were selling for managing a team at Yodel, which is like SMB transactional sales yep. startup. And then you moved to go work for a HubSpot. Right. Huge jump from small startup to big corporate world. Although maybe they weren't as big back then. Yep. Back was it, then was HubSpot. Transition? Um. 
Well, just the corporate culture and the sales motion were a pretty big transition because Yodel was very run and gun, transactional, outbound driven. It was the most outbound driven sales process I had ever been in. Um, and then go to HubSpot, which was the most inbound driven sales process, especially back then. This was back when HubSpot had 400 employees total, fewer than 100 in the sales team. So compared to what they are today, that's like cottage industry, mom and pop yeah. shop do you, days. Do you think it's easier to take a, a, a rep who's done this like extreme outbound Yodel style thing and put them into an inbound environment like HubSpot and have them succeed? Or is it easier to take somebody who's been at HubSpot in this extreme inbound model and move them into this extreme outbound model and have success? I will take option A every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You want to have somebody who has run through the gauntlet of outbound yeah. selling yeah. and then send them into that much more. It's not easy. And, and again, part of the misconception is oh, going to an inbound sales motion. Now it's easy. They're coming to you. Certainly not easy. Easier, yeah. unquestionable, yeah. unquestionable. And yet... The people who come from these like uh, high velocity kind of sales environments, you're you're even now like you're still kind of looked down upon in a way. Like that was a less than kind of role. And I like you have always been like, what are you talking about? I can take those people who have run through literal hellfire every day and teach them this other thing. But I can't take somebody from HubSpot or whatever other company and stick them into the yodel arena, you wouldn't last a moment. Oh. Yeah. The analogy I always used when I was explaining this is I can put a leash on a pit bull and teach them how to roll over. I can't really put dentures in a poodle and make that poodle bite and have there sharp teeth. That's just not going to work. Yeah. So, you know, as far as raw material and some of that hard wiring that goes into it, Outbound, I would recommend anyone who wants to start a sales career now and really be hardwired the right way, start as a BDR, go do outbound for a year and start to create your own pipeline out of thin air. Nothing will be a better foundation for you in a sales career than that. It's going to suck. Charge into the suck. Invite the suck. Embrace the suck because it will shape you for the rest of your career. That's where I started. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I want to uh, got to do a quick mid-roll, but um, wanted to uh, pre-ask the question, which is, what is what are you seeing shift in the sales world, right? There's the AI, there's the belief that the SDR role will um, go through a heavy, heavy, heavy reconstruction. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so that that's my question. I'm curious what you think the future looks like, but first want to take a minute and thank HubSpot and let people know about John Barrows and Make It Happen Mondays, which is one of our favorite podcasts too. It might be the only one that, um, you know, that Scott's ever uh, actually listened to as a podcast. I don't even know if Scott's listened to ours, but uh, Make It Happen Mondays offers actionable sales tips and help close more business. John brings in amazing guests uh, such as myself and Scott and, you know, some other big names. But um, that's the sarcasm, people. But thank you, uh, HubSpot, HubSpot Podcast Network, and go check out John. Make it happen Mondays. Okay.
not one of my favorite mid rolls, Scott. I don't know if I like that one. So, uh, Hey, that's all right. You can't be perfect all the time, Richard. Done yeah, is better than perfect. Yeah. Done yeah. is better than perfect. That that might be a C plus, maybe, maybe. So but anyway, so Matt, coming back, like what what do you think the future holds? You know, pull out pull out the crystal ball and tell us, oh Swami. Okay. So I have some very strong opinions on this, and I get a lot of disagreement. But like uh, here we go. Oh, we, we should start it here. They could be in. contrarian. So let me, let me in. get into it. First, we need to look at the macro stuff to get some context. What's happening more broadly? Uh, because a lot of people think that ah, we're just going through one of these natural cycles where markets contracting. People are getting laid off. It's going to be brief. We're going to be back into the swing of things very soon. Not so. What's happening? Broadly speaking, and I'm going to bore everybody for two minutes here with a macroeconomics course. Baby boomers, the youngest baby boomer in the market right now, 57 years old. They're all retiring very, very fast. Most of the baby boomers are already out. What does that mean? They take their capital with them. They go from putting it in the stock market to putting it in cash and T-bills. What does that do? It makes everything more expensive. Fed increases the interest rates because they're scrambling around trying to replace all of the lost tax money that they were getting from those baby boomers who are still working, who are now out of the job market and now sucking the government dry from all of those, those benefits that they're getting. So the interest rate's going up. T-bills are getting more beneficial, putting your money into safe accounts. What does that mean? More investments going there. That goes to the family offices and the endowments. Those are the two big players for VC capital. So if you don't know how the VC capital world works, venture capitalists are fueled mostly by family offices, rich families that have tons of money and they're moving money around or endowments, universities, pensions, funds, whatever. More of those institutions are shifting their money to the safe five, six, seven, eight, who knows how high it's going to go, safe government investments that they can get. What does that mean? Less VC money, less investment that shows up on the balance sheet. That means that we're going to hire fewer salespeople. We're going to be much more rigid about how we're spending that money. There's less money at our customers who we're selling to. So us in sales, we're seeing that show up with longer sales cycles, lower conversion rates. No, we got to wait. We got to look at things. We're not going to buy. We're going to contract and try to cancel subscriptions where we can. This is not a moment that's just going to pass in a month or a quarter or a year. This is generational. We're not going to be out of the woods here for another decade. And why do I say that? And I say that with a lot of apprehension because the people that are going to save us from all of this are the millennials. And I can't believe I have to say that as a Gen Xer, but it's the millennials, this nice big cohort of a populace who is just as big, a little bit bigger actually than the, the boomers. I'm a Gen Xer. There just aren't enough of us to replace all the investment capital Interest rates are going to stay high. Inflation's going to stay high. That is going to impact the sales landscape. So I'm referring to this as a nuclear winter. We're in this for another 10 years. Everything's going to be optimized. Jeez, this, this, is, this is total Game of Thrones. Yeah, uh, so. it is. You're going to see sales teams contract. You are going to see a couple professions in sales 
win out of this, namely sales enablement and sales operations, revenue operations. The people who are looking and influencing revenue per rep performance, they're going to be fine because finance is going to look at them and say, okay, we need them because we need to make sure every SDR, BDR, rep, everyone is maximizing their output and productivity. Those bottom 15, maybe even 20% of reps on the team that could have hung around previously, they're gone. Now, the top performing reps, they're going to end up being big winners too because they know how to get the job done and they're going to be fewer of those bottom feeder reps who are eating into their lead pools. And now they're going to get the benefits of having lead pools that come in, but it's going to be a tough 10 years and people have to take, so, so take action do, on this. So what do people do? right um to stay relevant is it the self-learning the training is it like because i i i've never thought about it the way you've said but i've always been saying for a long time that you know as the baby boomers move out there's just not enough people behind them um you know and so what do we do to create our own you know career security right so yeah. And this is where if you sit back and you are complacent, obviously nobody listening to this podcast fits that bill because they wouldn't be listening to surf and sales if they were. But for those friends of yours who are not listening to this podcast uh, and need to take action, you need to get in the game at every level of your process. And I don't just mean the nine to five sales process that you're running. When we look at this, we need to look at this from a Tom Brady perspective. You need to optimize everything, every throw, every move, every day at practice, what you eat, how you sleep, how you think, everything that you're doing to prepare for it. You want to be completely paranoid about everything. And that's the way that you are going to maximize the chances of survival. So you have to look at not just the technical skills. Those are the obvious ones that still most salespeople do not look to optimize. How do I prospect? How do I look to build pipeline? How do I make sure that I'm connecting the best way? How do I run the best world-class discovery out there? How do I make sure that I'm using all of the tools that are available with AI right now and taking what I can from that? How do I know how to multi-thread and build mutual action plans? There's a lot of great content out there. Um, how am I using community? I know you guys are working on community a lot. Community is where the puck is going. So Wayne Gretzky, skate where the puck is going to. Community is where the puck is going to. How do you start skating in that direction now so you're not left out in the cold in five years when everybody else is doing it? You want to be first there. So how do you stay cutting edge with all of these skills and study things like time management? and business acumen? Are you following the publications of your customer? Are you in their communities? Are you reading up and staying cutting edge with what they care about? You need to be plugged in there. You can't sit back and just wing it on the demo anymore. And wow. professional skills across the board, you need to optimize everything. You need to play the game like a professional athlete would. And if you don't, you're going to be at risk of it and cut. I think that's the longest we've ever let someone go on a soliloquy and Richard didn't interrupt them because it was so good. You know, it's like everybody, 
That's like an SKO speech right there. I was going to say, everybody who's listening, if you haven't already, go back to the beginning of this. Yeah, listen to listen that Listen to market. what Mike, Matt said and probably write some shit down, right? What are the things you need to optimize? Oh my God, it's every single thing. It's every single moment. It's getting multi-threaded. It's building mutual action plans. It's here's my, discovery. Like it was just awesome. Thank you. Here's Here's my... This is not really a rebuttal. I don't, I don't, I, it scares me that I don't disagree with you, unfortunately. Um, my rebuttal though is, is that that sounds absolutely exhausting to yes. analyze my life like Tom Brady did. Mm -hmm and think I need to optimize every little single thing that I do. Because it makes me wonder, is that actually what my life is all about? But do Scott, I need you're... to squeeze? Hold on, let me finish a 60 second rant. He let Matt go on for six minutes. Come on, Richard. <laughs> Smart. Get yourself. But is that what it's all about? Like, do, do I really want to squeeze every last bit of productivity out of myself? Do I need to optimize for every last possible day I can breathe on this earth? I don't know. I don't know that I want to do that. I think that there was periods of my life where I did want to do that. Do I want to do that now at 46 years old? I don't know. And I, and I think that there's a lot of people that would listen to your speech that you just made and just be like, fuck me like and head in the sand ostrich style just like i can't deal with it so mm -hmm. i'm just gonna say that's too exhausting i don't want to i don't want to think like that i don't want to live like that and therefore i'm going to try to go the opposite direction sure yeah i think I, i'm going to rebut your rebuttal yeah go for it so i agree with you scott um and recognize also what you said is that at, at our stage of life, that's exhausting, right? Um, and I know you, I don't know you in your 20s, maybe your late 20s, but I do know that earlier on you were you were in that growth mindset, right? Um, and I think that is happening a little bit at the younger generation. So I think it's, you know, the question is, if I'm early in my career, what do I want to do? If I'm later in my career, okay, I'll optimize a couple of things. I'm not going to optimize at all. Uh, with, with, so it's interesting because it feels like a, a, a smart and will be interpreted differently by the generations. What, what I also, you know, I just read this the other day too, is that the, the Gen Zs are saving less because of the lifestyle they want to live now and not the retirement, right? um, which is concerning um and maybe they'll you know grow into this well hold on a second you know there's only so many nice dinners i should really go out and have right now versus growing this kind of thing, you know this other piece but that also is a play of this too where i think the the millennials and the gen and the gen z's you know they've grown up scared a little bit about a financial crisis which i find interesting that 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 article says they're saving less um but also they taught us, which I, uh, you know, how to relax and live life a little bit. That like this work-life balance does matter because 
that's not what I did. You know, it's not what Gen X did or the boomers, right? So, so it's a, it is going to be an interesting uh, petri dish for the next ten years to see where this goes. So to comment on the rebuttal, not rebut the rebuttal because it wasn't a rebuttal, but uh, keep the commentary alive. Yeah, plenty of people are going to say, you know what? That sounds ridiculous to me. I am not going to live my life like that. I'm good just getting in and, you know, I'm a good professional, but being a good professional is good enough. And then I'm going to go, you know, be lax, you know, wake up whenever and, you know, not plan anything out and not overly structure. And that's fine. But we have to understand that given what I just described as far as the next 10 years, that is going to come with a higher degree of risk. Yeah. And what you also have to agree with is that if you're not focusing on optimizing everything, you're okay with performing less than you could. And that's fine if somebody wants that, but that comes with greater risk. Yes, you're going to do less. That could be okay. Your risk of losing your job and getting cut is going to be greater. Okay. Of not getting that president's club that you want or the promotion you want, that's going to be greater. Maybe that's okay as well, but we're not here for them. So with what I'm talking about and not to pitch product here, but with the, the solution that we offer and the problem that we're solving, it's not for people who don't want to be Navy SEALs. Not everyone wants to be a Navy SEAL. If you don't want to go through hell week and, you know, carry logs on your back and put boats on your, then don't do that. That's yeah. fine. But if you want to be a Navy SEAL, this is what it's going to take. This is just telling you the way it is. I fortunately had the opportunity. I wonder if there will to... be more or less Navy SEALs in the next 10 years. I believe that their extremes are going to come out on both ends. There are going to be more people who do exactly what you said. Uh, and if we just look at what the data shows in terms of the, the demographics and the generations, generation that's coming out right now, highest anxiety, they feel the most pressure, uh, they're the least integrated, they don't uh, you know, they don't drive as much. They don't drink as much. They don't party as much. They, they feel the anxiety. So I think they're going to drop out of sales. We're going to see the sales dropout rate higher, but they also work their asses off when they find the right job. They're really smart. They know things that we don't know because they grew up in this digital era. And we're going to see them really move into this Navy SEAL like mentality where they're going to be maniacal about this stuff. I mean, we see it everywhere, all this optimization stuff with Fitbit and everything physically and watching every calorie and everything that's going into your system and all these things that we can measure and track now that didn't come out of nowhere. There's a market for that. And we're just in the moment of it. So there's going to be yeah, more of an interesting moment. We're in the moment of people trying to optimize everything and making money off it by basically saying like, you know, Here's how I optimize my life by not cooking ever. All I do is order Uber Eats for every meal. It's like, is really, there's a market for that, I guess. But is that, is that the way? Do we need more of those people? I don't know if we do, but there's going to be more of them. I, I know a lot of people who don't buy cars anymore because they Uber everywhere. And it's like, if I'm going to buy a car, it's sitting in the garage most of the time and I'm paying for that and it depreciates. And I just want to have a variable cost of Uber, wow. not a fixed cost of a yeah. car. 
This has been super interesting, uh, especially the back half of this, starting with yes. Matt's thesis rant, which was fantastic. We got to move to uh, to wrap the show. Is there anything that we can answer for you? Do you have any questions for us? Is there something we can do to be helpful for you, Matt? I do. I know you guys work a lot with teams and their go-to-market and and working on a lot of these same problems. How do I optimize performance and really help that team go to the next level, whether it's structuring the process or optimizing their team, helping their coaches coach better, their trainers train better, whatever it might be. I'd be curious to hear from both of you. You asked me the question earlier, and I want to turn it back because I had this primed up before. What do you believe is the reason why most salespeople do not do this today? They're not what I described. They don't have the Navy SEAL mentality of, I'm charging in to learn and stay sharp with everything. I don't think most people are interested in getting 1% better at all. I think they are more interested in a hack that makes them 87% better overnight. And so rather than trying to get 1% better for 87 days, they'll spend 87 days looking for the hack to get 87% better. So that is a sort of short-term mindset, potentially, uh, lack of discipline, potentially, a lack of knowing where to go to get 1% better. It's not for a lack of resources. It's almost there's too many resources. So I, I'm sort of frozen by trying to select which one, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, we'll just, let me just talk trash about the three of us for a second. It's like all three of us in some way deliver some type of sales coaching, training, advice, what have you. So if somebody listening to the show is like, well, how the hell do I know which one of these guys is good, bad, and, you know, great. So that, that I think it's hard for for sales, salespeople. And then, you know, they're done disservices. They don't have a lot of training and coaching opportunities in the companies that they're at, which is partly the fault of the sales leader, but it's also the fault of the whole ecosystem, which doesn't give people the time and bandwidth and freedom to actually pour development into folks. So, I mean, I think that that's essentially the, that's the root of it for me at least. I agree with everything Scott said. Um, and I think it goes also back to what you said, Matt, earlier too, is like, this is a main thrust of community. Or like COVID, I think, waked up, woke everybody up to like, oh my gosh, I'm isolated and I need to find my people. And then as they found their people, they got better at, at seeking advice. And, you know, for, for the for the people just getting their career started or their career started in sales, it doesn't mean they're they're young because I mean, a lot of people have transitioned from from other industries. That's the hard part of like, well, you know, yes, I'm digitally native and I can go Google stuff, but that's still kind of stale, right? Mm -hmm. You find a community, you find Scott, GTM United, or the old Thursday night sales where you get to communicate with other people is a big piece. I think wrapped around all that is the lack of leadership, particularly in sort of in this startup eco world that we live in, right? Where the leaders don't know how to do this themselves because they never had to do it, right? You know, I remember my mom always saying, well, you know, you go to these networking events and that's how you meet people. And, and you, know, you know, she's, you know, she was in the financial industry and, and that mattered. And I was like, I'm not going to a networking event. Like, 
And then even in the startup world, that didn't happen so much. And so I don't think the leaders have taught, have been taught the skill or understand it. So they can't pass it on to the next generation. And I also think particularly the Gen X leaders are afraid to do and learn something new because it shows them and exposes a, what they perceive as a weakness, not that they're being vulnerable, which is what people want, right? We were, we were just told to shut up and figure it out, which meant I wasn't allowed to tell you that I wasn't good at something. Therefore, I can't open my mind to a certain topic. Therefore, I can't teach it down to the next generation. And then back to your macroeconomic piece, Nobody's been through what we've been through. Mm -hmm. um, everybody likes to try and claim it, but they haven't. So they don't know how to talk about that either. So that's, that's my long reply. Well, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Matt? LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn, Matt Dorian. You can check me out there. Um, in there, you will find a link to our community. We're all building communities now. So you'll see a link to our Slack community. Jump in. You can contact me directly there. Send me a DM either through LinkedIn or through the community and we'll catch up there. Keep working on this stuff. Awesome. We appreciate you spending some time with us. This was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I got a lot to think about now. Yeah. Totally. Good or bad. I got a lot to think about now. Yeah. And uh, we thank everybody for joining us today on the Serpent Sales Podcast and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Matt. This is great. Thanks, guys.